somebody who was in authority. He was given a signet ring, which was a symbol of authority. And so when he was sending a parchment or a manuscript or, or you know, sending some document, they would pour wax in it and he would seal it with the ring. The Bible says Jesus is the express image of the Father. The same way as the express image of the ring was now on the wax, Jesus was the express image of the Father. Isn't that good to know? Because Jesus was loving, he was merciful, he was kind. I'm talking today about fathers and you know this is such an important message and um, uh, it, it, so I just pray that you open your heart and I believe the Lord will speak to you um, uh, so anyway uh, uh, my wife and myself we got married in in 1999 and and so I got married in 99 but I became a father in 2004 and I can honestly say that fatherhood changes you forever uh, it changes how you think it changes how you see the world, and um, you know I believe it makes you a better person, um, uh, or at least want to be a better person. Uh, I remember a number of years ago when my kids were little, um, Joshua and Julie were in the back seat, and we were driving somewhere. And you know I miss those days because uh, you know when they're when they're small, it's it's just so much fun. And um, but you know we used to sing songs and we used to talk and chat and pray and. Um, you know, I often ask them now to sing a song and they just look at me. They look at me funny, you know, it's just... Um... But anyway, uh, I, I was talking to them. I said, um, kids, do you know my middle name? And um, they looked at me blankly. And then Joshua turns to Julie and says, his first name is Dad. <laughs> and um, so this morning, if you're called Dad, know that that is a tremendous honor and privilege. And so while some people call me pastor, my first name is dad. Amen. And um, it was the uh, Ken Norton. He was the U.S. heavyweight boxer who said this, of all the titles I've been privileged to have, dad has always been the best. Amen. Because this is the thing, you know, we live in a society which celebrates these handsome superheroes with, with all of this superhuman ability. But in real life, you know, the majority of them are just self-absorbed, narcissistic actors whose personal lives are often in a complete mess. And, um, you know, I, personally, I think instead, we should celebrate the men who go out, you know, every day and work hard, many times in jobs they don't even like, to provide for um, their families. And so, uh, again, while this is our calling as fathers, I still think it's important that we don't take them for granted and that we should uh, give them honor. And so, you know, today is Father's Day, and I don't believe this is meant to be some meaningless uh, annual tradition on the calendar. You know, I believe it's important and appropriate to give honor to all of the fathers here today. So if you're a father, could you stand to your feet today in Jesus' name? Amen. Praise God. Come on. We want to honor all of the dads. Glory to God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Amen. God bless you, man. Amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 13 and verse 7 in the Amplified Bible, it says, Render to all men their dues. Pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. And honor to whom honor is due. 
And so I, I honestly believe it is so appropriate uh, to give honor to the fathers today. Amen. And so Luke chapter 11 and the disciples came to Jesus. Now it came to pass uh, that as he was praying in a certain place, um, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to him, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's interesting that the disciples saw that, that Jesus enjoyed such an intimacy with the Father, and I believe that they saw it was key in you know, all of the miracles and all of the ministry and all of what he did. We see that prayer was absolutely integral to, to the ministry of Christ. Mark 1.35, Jesus rose a long time before daylight, went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You know, nothing will change your life uh, more than prayer. I would encourage you, get up early in the morning, go for a walk and talk to the Lord. It'll change your life. But here the disciples saw, you know, they saw something in what Christ had. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the first thing Jesus said is, when you pray, say, our Father. Um, it's interesting, he didn't say, uh, say, oh, uh, thou uh, uh, magnificent, wantest that, that dwellest on high, um, uh, who art exalted far above all. And, you know, that would be true, um, but we don't have to talk in King James English, amen, because it's 2022, amen, that's okay. But um, uh, Jesus said, pray, when you pray, say, our Father. So, you know, Jesus taught us, you know, to approach um, uh, uh, God or to communicate um, uh, with, with God, the first thing he said was to say our father, to approach God as a father and a friend. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. And so, um, you know, God, in, in personally revealing himself um, to our world, um, uh, reveals himself through his son, uh, you know, and he, he reveals himself not as some angry, uh, austere being that demands um, our worship, but rather he reveals himself to us as a loving, gentle father. And... Um, so I think it's a beautiful thing that God has spoken to us through Jesus. So again, we can't see God the Father. Uh, you, you know, you, we don't communicate with him by our emotions or by our feelings. But if you want to see what God is like, just open the Bible and look at Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the... the um, uh, thank you, Jesus. It says... Uh, Thank you, Jesus. It said, he is appointed heir of all things, and it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know, that, 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 that phrase comes from, in Roman times, when you need a procreator or somebody who was in authority, he was given a signet ring, which was a symbol of authority, and so when he was sending, you know, a, a, a parchment or a manuscript or, or, you know, sending some document, they would pour wax in it, and he would seal it with the ring, and that was the symbol of authority. Well, the Bible says Jesus is the express 
express image of the Father. The same way as the express image of the ring was now on the wax, Jesus was the express image of the Father. Isn't that good to know? Because Jesus was loving, he was merciful, he was kind, amen. He reached out to the broken, and so Jesus was a visible representation of the love of God. And so um, that is why we don't have to be afraid of God. I believe in the fear of God, but not being afraid of God, because the Bible says God is love. So anyway, um, you know, God revealed himself as a father. And I appreciate for some of you here today, father may not be a good word. Some of you mightn't have had a good relationship with your father. Some of you mightn't even have known your father. And so again, the word father may evoke, you know, pain or disappointment or regret um, or hurt or even longing. But you know, irrespective of what kind of relationship you had with your father, good, bad, or indifferent, you must know this, irrespective of the relationship you have with your or had with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who loves you, who values you, who celebrates you, who believes in you, who knows you, who understands you, and who is with you in Jesus' name. And he's with you when you're doing good, and he's with you when you're not doing so good. Amen? And that's the good news. We have a heavenly father who delights in us. Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will Take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And so today's message is about showing honor. Honor to God, certainly, but also honor to the men who in this place, who in spite of our shortcomings and failures, are called to be fathers. And so uh, today I want all of the men to grasp the tremendous responsibility that God has given to us because again, it's a tremendous honor and privilege to be called dad. Exodus 20 and verse 12, the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord uh, thy God giveth thee. So honor is intentional as is dishonor. And in many respects, we're living in a society that no longer understands honor. I mean, you know, you go on social media and so much of it is about, you know, insults and dishonor and disrespect. And, um, you, you know, there's people who would say things online about other people they would never say to another person's face. And in some ways, it's, it's becoming normalized, this concept of dishonor. But you know what? We need to be intentional in honoring, uh, honoring God, but also in honoring mothers and in honoring fathers because again, I believe it's a tremendous uh, responsibility because you look in media and many times, um, you know, fathers are maligned and they're mocked. Um, you know, they're treated as if they're stupid and portrayed that way on sitcoms and TV and, and all of these things. And I don't believe that it, it pleases God because in many respects, it's putting out there, um, you know, uh, it's portraying uh, fathers in a way that they're not meant to be portrayed. And unfortunately, uh, you know, there's, there's a a principle of monkey see, monkey do, and we're seeing that in our society. Um, you know, a lot of men behaving badly. But um, anyway, 
you know, we need to understand that God has a pattern. He has a principle that he wants us as men uh, to reach for. And um, so this is the thing. For some of you, like I said, maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your father. And, and, and your father might have fell short in, in some areas. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is that all of us have fallen short. That's what the Bible says. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the reality is this, is that even if your father fell short in some areas... And our fathers may have been far from perfect. They were most likely doing the best with what they had. Amen. And so I think it's important for us to, to, to look at, um, you know, our fathers in a redemptive manner. Um, I, I've shared this story before about how my, my, my grandfather, um, his, his father sadly died and his, his, um, his mom had a pub in a little village called Curra in Kerry. And um, uh, she was uh, open after hours. Um, I guess she was doing her best to try and provide for her family. And um, anyway, she was given a fine and she had to go to court in Tralee. On the way to Tralee, uh, it was a really, really bad day. She was going by horse and cart. This was, you know, uh, back, I guess, in the 30s or, or, or 40s. But um, she was going by horse, horse and cart, which is maybe about a 20-mile journey. And, uh, you know, in the cold and the wet, she got pneumonia, and sadly, she died. And um, so my, my grandfather and his two brothers and his sister, um, uh, they were put into an orphanage. And, um, and so it, 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 these kids, after the orphanage, they were put into an industrial school. And most of us that are Irish, you know, know all the terrible things that happened in some of these industrial schools. And, um, but, you know, it was, it, it was a very sad story. But this is the thing. These children experienced uh, the brutal reality of life without a mother and a father. And, um, and, and so, again, as a mother and father, you know, God has given us tremendous responsibility to, to, to love our kids and to be there for them. My own father died in, in 2018. Um, he, he had his own issues. And I used to judge my dad um, harshly uh, until I had my own kids. And, um, you know, more and more I look at him and I realize, you know what, he's probably done better in some areas than I have. And, um, and so it's, it's quite a humbling experience. Um, you know, as they say, as you get older, your parents uh, become more wiser. Uh, it, it, you know, but anyway, um, uh, you know, when I had my own kids and I found myself losing my, my, my temper or raising my voice or being grumpy or being frustrated or worrying about the various responsibilities of life. And um, uh, I want to read this quote by uh, John, John Wilmot. It says, before I got married, I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. <laughs> and um, let me read this quote by the rapper Eminem. He said, my father, I never knew him, never even seen a picture of him. And, you know, tragically, you know, I think he is representative of what is, in many respects, a fatherless generation. And, and, and I think that is one of the tragedies of our modern uh, so-called sophisticated society is, you know, we think we're so developed and so sophisticated, and yet so many children are growing up without a father. I think it's tragic. It's tragic. And um, anyway, uh, the Bible acknowledges that many of the issues that our society struggles with are generational. They're literally passed on down from one generation to another. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 9, and it says, um, 
You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And um, so, uh, does that mean that God is intentionally cursing people? No. Um, I I believe a curse is an absence of a blessing. And so, uh, you know, as a consequence of being cut off from God, there is this curse that is working. But, you know, many times we'll see that generational curse in that, you know, a man is an alcoholic uh, beating his wife. And, you know, if you look, his father was doing the same thing. His father before him was doing the same thing. You know, I would say this in Ireland, we have a really dysfunctional relationship with alcohol. We have a big problem with alcoholism and with, uh, you know, domestic violence, which, you know, the the two generally uh, go together. And so, again, I I would say to you as a Christian, uh, just don't mess with that. And you might say, well, you know, I'm able to control my drinking. Yes, maybe today. You don't know if you're going to be able to do that tomorrow or next week or next year. Thank you for that complete silence. Don't mess with it. (laughs) Sometimes I ask the Lord, why did you put me in Ireland? <laughs> I preach a lot of very unpopular messages. But you know what? There's some things that are hard in culture. Let me say this. The word of God is hard in culture. You might say, well, it's my culture to drink. I don't care what your culture is. I don't. I don't care what my culture is. There's something higher than our culture, and that is the word of God. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> but there, the Bible here says visiting to the third and fourth generation. So we see these alcoholism, addiction, um, domestic violence. Like I said, when you see these patterns, many times the people per- perpetuating, perpetuating, no, <laughs> perpetrating. Many times, see, just just tried to impress you with a big word there, and there you just. But many times, many of those carrying out these things, <laughs> they grew up with it. They grew up with that behavior, and they're simply acting out what they saw. Uh, Ezekiel 18 and verse 2. What you mean uh, by repeating the proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. You see, as men, many of the issues that we refuse to deal with may end up being visited upon our children. Here the Bible says that the fathers eat sour grapes, and yet the children are the ones who taste, have that bitter taste in their mouth. Amen. And this is why, again, whether you're a man or a woman, deal with your issues. Deal with them. Don't indulge them. Deal with them, no matter how painful it may be. It may be because if you don't deal with it, your children may end up, uh, you know, carrying that that thing on in Jesus' name. And so, many of our social ills, whether it's you know, uh, uh, you know, alcohol or, or substance abuse or or, or, or violence or uh, you know, the rise of gangs or tragically the, the you know the, the 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 rise of suicide. It's another thing in Ireland. We have a major issue with suicide. It's tragic, you know? And so, but many of these things are rooted in fatherlessness. And um, 
So, uh, our absent fathers, because, you know, one, one really is as, as bad as, as the other, whether somebody doesn't know their father or their father is absent from the home. You know, it's proven a large percentage of male prisoners in the U.S. come from fatherless homes, and I'm sure it's, it's much the same here in Ireland. But, you know, statistically, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32 times the average. So, you know, if somebody doesn't have a dad in the home, they're, they're 32 times more likely uh, to be homeless or to run away. 80% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the average. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm simply trying to emphasize that men matter. Fathers matter. This is important. It doesn't mean, listen, uh, you, you might be asking, well, does this mean that, you know, uh, if I'm a single parent, that my child is somehow destined to fail in life? Absolutely not. God sees all that you do for your children. And as a pastor, you know, I, I respect you and I honor you as, as a single mom because you're doing the, the, the work of two people. And, and you know what? As the church, we need to do everything we can to stand with and help, you know, as single parents, whether it's single mothers or single fathers, because it's, it's not easy. Amen. And we just want to honor you as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. And it says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. It's interesting that Paul the apostle didn't have children. He didn't marry. And, and yet he said, I, I, you know, that, that I'm your father in the faith. And so I certainly believe that there's a great need for spiritual fathers in the church and spiritual mothers, because the reality is there are many um, uh, people in church that have never known the love of a father, and you might have children of your own, or you may have, but you know what? God can use you to be a father and to be a mother to, to these people who might have never known uh, you know, that love. And so even if a child's father isn't actively engaged in their life, God can and will make up the difference, amen? And uh, I, I truly believe that the church has a part to play in... in, in uh, uh, you know, making up that lack that might exist. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6, and it says, um, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Amen. And so the Bible says, God is a father to the fatherless. And so if you don't have a father, you never knew a father. You know, God is your father. Uh, but that, uh, at the same time, you know, let me qualify that by saying, it does place an even greater responsibility on you to pray for your child um, because the need for a father is real and, and, and it cannot and it should not be denied. Amen. That, that is a very real uh, need that we have is for the love of a father. And this is why you see it evidenced in, in many young people who get involved in gangs because the gang offers a sense of purpose uh, and, and belonging and perversely uh, the gang offers uh, you know, a form of family and mentoring. 
Uh, Michael Jackson said this, I had pimples so badly, it used to make me so shy. I used not to look at myself. I'd hide my face in the dark. I wouldn't want to look in the mirror. And my father teased me, and I just hated it, and I cried every day. I just wish I could understand my father. And, you know, it's interesting. You can see the cry of despair in Michael Jackson, in, in the, the late Michael Jackson. And, um, you know, Malachi chapter 4 says, God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Um, uh, you know, the very last, this, it's interesting. This is the very last verse in the Old Testament. Think of all that has gone before. And um, I'd encourage you, you should read through the Old and the New Testament um, regularly. But, uh, you know, if you think of all of the prophecies, all of the, you know, the warnings, all of the directions, all of the, the, the communication, um, you know, that God made in the Old Testament, it's, it's wonderful. It's the Word of God. And yet, the very last uh, verse uh, before we enter into a, a silence of over 400 years where there was no prophetic utterance, uh, there was no prophetic record until John the Baptist. You know, Amos 8.11 talks about there being, uh, you know, a, a, a famine of the word of God. Well, this is what happened. And, and you know, uh, we always place great emphasis on somebody's last words. Well, really, these were God's last words. And then there was going to be a silence for over 400 years where there would be no prophet, no, no word from, from on high, complete silence. And so, therefore, I believe this last verse, uh, you know, carries tremendous um, significance. And here, uh, the last thing God says to the children of Israel, and by implication to the body of Christ, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let, let me simply suggest that I believe we're living under that curse right now. Where the hearts of the, the, the fathers are not for the children, and the hearts of the children are not to, for, uh, turned towards the fathers. Ed Cole said this, being a male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. You see, your choices ultimately define you as a man. And so the question is this, when do you become a man? Well, I believe there is a process, and uh, that process begins when you start to accept responsibility for yourself, but also for others, particularly your own children, amen? Because it's easy to be a father, or rather, it's easy to become a father, but it's hard to be one, amen? And so it's only God can help us to be a real man and to be a real father. It's a painful process that involves us facing up to our own selfishness and at times our own stupidity. But the good news is this. This is the good news. Men are born, but fathers are made. Fathers are made. And, and so if we as men have the humility to approach God with the same request as the prodigal when he approached the father. Because remember, the, the prodigal started by saying, give me. That's, he, he came to, to the father saying, give me. But he came back saying, make me. Jesus said, learn of me. From humble and gentle in heart, you'll find rest to your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if we want to learn as men how to be good fathers, then we can. 
But we have to have the humility to come and recognize we don't have it all together. Amen? God will teach us if we're willing to learn. We can be great fathers, but it starts by us coming to God with humility and repentance, saying, God, make me. Amen? <coughs> Billy Graham said this, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Ephesians 3.14 in the Amplified. For this reason, seeing the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. So the Bible says that all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name from God the Father. Amen. Psalm 103 in verse 13. And it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. You see, clearly God reveals himself to us as a loving father. And, you know, on one level, this is a blessing, but it's also a little terrifying. It's very sobering to consider that, you know, as fathers, we carry a great responsibility because we can end up misrepresenting God the Father by the way that we behave as earthly fathers. You know, fatherhood is a time-honored position that is ordained by God. And so when nations, Western nations, you know, uh, one by one voted for gay marriage, what they unconsciously decided was that a father is no longer a necessary part of a home. And this is why, you know, it's, it, they were terribly wrong. And our society will continue to unravel until we come to the realization that fathers are just as necessary as mothers. Genesis 2 verse 24, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and they too shall become one flesh. So here we have God's pattern. A father, a mother, and children that follow. And so, again, um, I believe much of this feminist hatred of the so-called patriarchy is ultimately rooted in hatred of God. Because this is his design. God's design is the nuclear family, a father and mother and children. That's it. There, God does not have any other plan. He doesn't have any other uh, pattern than a man and a woman. Amen. And so uh, I, I want to deal very quickly. Um, uh, I, I'm running out of time, but uh, I want to deal with some of the issues that a father uh, brings or, or, or some of the things a father brings. Firstly, a father's provision. A father is first and foremost a provider, and this is why selfishness or laziness is no longer an option once you become a father. You need to start working. Amen? Hallelujah. And so when I hear men complain, oh, it's so hard having children, or, or, or what about my happiness? <laughs> Forget about your happiness. That's no longer a priority. Your happiness was fine when you were single, and if you wanted to stay happy, <laughs> the lady's getting excited. But what about me? Get over yourself, buddy. Amen? Because when men talk about what about my happiness, they don't get it. It's no longer about your happiness. Amen? Because as fathers, we're called to lay down our lives for our family. Amen? And just as God the Father meets our needs 
as earthly fathers, we're to meet the needs, we're to love and we're to serve um, our wife and our children. We are their provider, amen? And so, you know, when you give your word to your children or to your wife, do you keep it? Because as a father, like I said, you're representing the heavenly father to your kids and your children will find it hard to trust in a father in heaven when they can't trust their father on earth. Amen? And so, uh, Ed Cole said this, maturity doesn't come with age, it comes with acceptance of responsibility. I'd encourage you as a man, you know, Ed Cole died probably best part of 20 years ago, but you know, all of his books are still in print, you can get them on Amazon. Some really great books that he wrote, and he dealt particularly in the area of men. And sadly, it seems some men never mature. I've met 60-year-old men, and they're just... Dumb as a plank. They just, they just, you know, uh, I've met 18 year olds that have more sense. And so I, I think that's very sad. Um, uh, and I'm not talking about intelligence, I'm just talking about, you know, uh, wisdom. You know, because wisdom and, and intelligence are not synonymous. You may, be, uh, you may have a PhD and be a complete moron. You go to see some of the people, lecturers in college, highly educated, and they're, you know, acting like a man become a woman or a woman can become a man. Sorry. Education uh, or int- and, and, and intelligence are not synonymous with wisdom. Ephesians 5 and verse 23. And it says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. You see, a husband provides his surname uh, to his wife and kids. That's why, you know, when we marry couples, we recommend, we don't recommend double barrel names. Um, and that's why I was very grateful. My wife took my name, you know, and uh, it, it's an honor that's given to men. Uh, but, you know, it's a symbol of the covering that a husband gives to his wife and to his children because he's the head of the home. And so a father gives um, his kids an identity. And so I don't mean banging on about this, but people, you know, promote this utopian idea of gay marriage when they overlook the fact that kids need a father. And so another woman uh, or a sperm bank cannot take the place of a father any more than a second man can take the place of a mother. Okay, two women cannot give what a man and a woman gives. Two men cannot give what a man and a woman gives. That may be politically incorrect, but that's biblically correct, and it's scientifically correct. So, again, I think it was Augustine once said, he said, truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it, just let it out of its cage. That's it. The truth will set you free. This is not about hating anybody. This is about simply proclaiming truth. That's my responsibility as a pastor. Proclaim truth. And um, so anyway, today you see many immature men. They're grown, but they're not mature. They still want to act like their kids. Fact is, some of them dress like 10-year-olds along with their shorts and their Star Wars t-shirt. And then they wonder why they can't get a date. (laughs) You look like you need a mommy, not a wife. Look at films from the 40s and 50s and see how men and women dressed and how they acted. 
You know, you, you look at some of those movies, you say, where, where did it all go wrong? Because, you know, there's nothing more attractive to a man than femininity. There's nothing more attractive to a woman than masculinity. And so the more our society becomes um, leached of, of these things where, where men and women are, are, are the same, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's not going to end well for our society. And so, anyway, I think part of the issue is this. We decided that it's somehow okay to not grow up. You know, arrested development is defined as an abnormal state in which development has stopped prematurely. So when you have men and women wasting their best years on traveling or on finding themselves or on playing video games all night and, um, you know, are building a career, uh, you know, they're missing uh, they're missing one of life's most important milestones, and that is simply growing up, getting married, and having children. Because when you as a man have children, it changes you. When you get married, it changes you. And even if you don't want to change, she will change you. <laughs> if it kills her, she will change you. <laughs> I'm only joking. Some of you didn't know whether to clap on that. But... Um, <laughs> But you see, real men provide, not just financially, but also love, protection, direction, and something that is often overlooked, identity. See, I got my surname from my father. There's a reason why people, you know, given up to adoption, always eventually go seeking, um, you know, their, 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 their natural parents, particularly their, their father, because there, there's something about the father, even if they never knew him, it's part of their identity. Sigmund Freud said this, I can't think of any need in childhood so strong as the need for a father's protection. And it's not politically correct to say this. But many of the men who grow up without a father um, end up uh, either effeminate or gay. It's simply because I believe in many respects their behavior is a re representation of the deep longing they have on the inside of them. Because it's hard to be what you didn't see. That is the principle. So when you have kids growing up without that male influence, uh, with the best intent in the world, as a woman, you cannot teach a boy how to be a man. He needs a man to teach him how to be a man, any more than I can teach my daughter how to be a woman. There's some things a, a mother cannot teach you, and that is, one of them is how to be a man. Proverbs 14 and verse 26. Some of you sitting there saying, Pastor, I'll pray for you when you're in prison. That's a spirit, and I refuse to be controlled by a spirit. There's a spirit behind that, and I refuse to be controlled by that. 1426. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. If you fear God, it will bring blessing on your, on your wife, on your family, on your children. Are you a God-fearing man? And this is why, again, we have to walk in the fear of God. And that's why, again, by, by, by extension, we need to, you know, pr protect our, our children. 
because, again, we need to watch out for them. I remember a number of years ago, we were living in Kildare, and there was an estate where there was a tiler working, and I got sharing with some, a lot of the builders, actually. I led some of the builders to Christ. I remember at the time, the Passion of the Christ was out, and I was sharing with one, these two big, big, strong builders, and I was sharing them about Jesus, and one guy looked at the other, he says, when I watched, when I watched the Passion of the Christ, he says, he looks at his body, he says, I cried. So, you know, when, you, when you're getting builders to talk about their feelings, you're doing well. Uh, but, you know, then one of them told me about this, this other guy, and he said that um, he was bragging about how he left out some pornographic magazines and his kid found them. His kid was like five years of age. And, and, and so, you know, this, this is the reality is, as, as parents, we, we have to, you know, look out for our children and, and not, you know, just particularly with tablets and phones and all that stuff, we need to protect them. Proverbs 14, 23, it says, all hard work brings a profit and mere talk leads only to poverty. You know, my dad worked through the, he, he, was, he, he ran a garage, but uh, he worked through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, even into the 90s. And he had eight children. He supported us, sent me to college, to, to Bolton Street for three years. And, um, you know, Ireland wasn't an easy environment uh, back then to do business, particularly in the country. There were tough times, but he did it. And um, your dad might not have been affectionate. He mightn't have talked much. Um, he may have had his own issues and struggles, but you know what? If he provided for you and he put a roof over your head, then be thankful for him, amen? Because I don't believe we celebrate fathers for providing like they should, because your, your dad mightn't have had letters after his name, he mightn't have written a book, he mightn't have been celebrated, but you know what? He mightn't have been perfect, but he deserves your respect, Amen? And so firstly, a father's provision. Secondly, a father's example. I've got to be quick. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So we've already looked at how the husband is the head of the wife. But then the Bible says that you're the head of the wife the way Christ is the head of the church. Christ laid down his life for the church. He served the church. It's not easy. To, it's not difficult to submit to Christ because we know he has our best interests at heart. Because we know he died for us. He was willing to hang naked on a cross for us. And this is the love that as husbands we are called to have for our wife and to have for our children. Amen? And so, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to simply love their mother. Because we can sometimes forget that a child's greatest sense of security is not found in the car you drive or, or the fact that you live in a, a big house or an affluent area. Um, you know, the, the greatest thing that you can give to your children is a loving home. Amen? And so, if you don't love and respect your wife, neither will your kids. You know, my dad used to get up every morning, put on a suit and tie, and he went to work. He was a car salesman. He never took days off ever. He never took sick days. He didn't say life is not fair or act like a victim. And, you know, he, he showed me and, and our, uh, the rest of my brothers and sisters that, you know, how to get on in life is to work hard and be persistent. You know, he traveled the country selling trucks and selling cars, and... Um, you know, he became an alcoholic in the, in the process because so much of, of business in Ireland back then was conducted in pubs. And, um, but you know what? He lived the saying, the cure for hard luck is hard work. 
And, and so I learned from his example to work hard at, at what you do. And remember this, if you're a father, little eyes are watching you. Little feet are following you. Like I said, the principle is monkey see, monkey do. So many times in in marriage uh, counseling, we see this. As many times people are simply acting out what they saw or what they grew up with. And this is why we need to renew our mind with the word of God. Because, you know, the greatest thing we can do for our children is to live this. Because if we don't live it, they see it. Amen. We need to live it and let our kids watch us. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Ed Cole again. A father's responsibility is not to make the child's decisions, but let the child watch him make his. Amen? So we make our decisions and our children can watch us. Um, Charles Kettering, an American inventor, said this. Every father should remember one day his son will follow his example not his advice. So if you watch crap on TV, your kids will as well. (laughs) Thank you for that that silence. How many of you, listen, uh, some of the stuff on TV now is appalling. It's, It's blatant propaganda. And many times as Christians, we're choosing to just, you know, ignore you know, what's being pumped out there and pumped into people's minds. No, I'm, I refuse to do it. I refuse to have that rubbish on my, on my TV because I don't want my kids watching it. Amen? And so, anyway, if we use bad language or if we're lazy or disrespectful to our wife, that is what we will reproduce in them. So as fathers, we have to make the difficult decisions. We have to take responsibility for them as well. So put your wife first because let me say this. Lust takes, but love gives and keeps on giving. Amen? 1 Corinthians 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So, you know, some of us as men have some childish things that we need to put aside because a father learns to put his family and, uh, and not his feelings first. So, again, if you want to be a good father, put your family, not your feelings first. Do your kids see you love and serve and give and sacrifice and pay the price? Because we have to grow up because our example will either reinforce or undermine everything that we stand for or that we say we stand for. And so, in order to be a good father, you have to be a good Christian. You cannot be a good father if you're not a good Christian. Do your children see you go to church? Do they see you pray? Do they see you read your Bible? Amen. Uh, Do they see you putting God first in your life? And um, uh, it was Dexter Scott King, Martin Luther King's son, said this. My father said, politics asks the question, is it expedient? Vanity asks, is it popular? But conscience asks... Is it right? You see, the greatest legacy that we can leave to our children isn't, you know, money or fame or power, but rather it's the value of your reputation. Never underestimate the power of your example, how you lived your life. Whether you walked in integrity, did you walk in the light of God's word? So again, a father's provision, a father's example, and thirdly, a father's discipline. 
But Ephesians 6.4, do not provoke your children to wrath. So as fathers, we have a responsibility to, to help establish boundaries of acceptable behavior in our children. So if you see badly children out of control, badly behaved children out of control, the root issue is a father who is abdicating his responsibility, his God-given responsibility to lovingly correct Amen. Too many times as fathers, we just dump it on, um, on, on our wife. But you know, let me say this. Bad behavior in little kids isn't cute. And, and as they grow, it, it, it will only increase. And if you refuse to deal with it when they're little. I remember my little Naomi, when she was small, she had these fat cheeks, these big brown eyes. And sometimes she would just fold her arms and she would look at me in utter defiance. Uh, but, but, you know, we had to deal with that. Because if we indulge that, you know, uh, th- those kids grow. And that's how you end up with really major, um, uh, major issues. So, anyway, uh, the Bible says, train up a child in the way in which they shall go when they're Old, they will not turn from it. And so, ironically, one of our generations, um, one of the consequences of this generation's fixation with eliminating all forms of discipline has been the meteoric rise of violence that we're seeing in our society. You see, children need to be disciplined. Let me clarify. They need to be disciplined, not abused, and not indulged, because they're both extremes, I believe. Some people indulge their children, other people abuse them, and and neither of those is justified by the Bible. The Bible does not justify physically abusing a child, okay? And so, uh, children need to be corrected, but you know, some people, like I said, it's terrible. I mean, let me say this as well, I guess, being in Ireland, you know, certainly it was clear that some Christian brothers did wrong. Um, There was definitely excesses among some of them. Some of them were sadists and other of them, you know, should have never been left near children. But you know what? Many of them were good men who, who, uh, you know, gave their lives um, uh, teaching kids. And they were honorable men. I I went to the Christian Brothers and uh, it was a very good experience for me. I mean, uh, certainly (laughs) some of them put the fear of God in you. And that's not a bad thing. Okay? I needed the fear of God put into me. And so, uh, you know, much, uh, I think much of, of, of the faith that I have today, really, um, it, you know, God stirred my heart even, even back, back then. So again, it's important that we discipline. And, and the next point is this, a father's encouragement. And let me say this, one balances out the other, because you can't, um, uh, it can't be all discipline. There has to be encouragement. You know, there, there's a balance. And, you know, the reality is most of us in Ireland certainly um, were given uh, discipline, but few of us received uh, sufficient encouragement. And you know what? Kids crave in affirmation and encouragement. Colossians 3.21, fathers don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. And so a, a real father will be there for their kids to encourage them. Um, you know, we need to be present. That means put down your phone, turn off the TV. You know, look in the eye of your kid. Give them your attention. Try to enter into their world. Go for a walk with them. You know, play with them. Do something. Um, you know, because we have a Father in heaven who encourages us and sees the best in us. You know, God commanded Moses <coughs> in Joshua 3.28 to encourage Joshua. And so most of us don't get 
enough encouragement. You know, Acts 11 talks about Barnabas, and his name literally means son of encouragement. So, you know, Barnabas was an encourager, and uh, you know, it's so important for us that we encourage our children. I remember as, as, a, as a kid, um, I was in primary school, and there was a guy bullying me. His name was Tony Payne. And um, ironically, yeah, every, every day after school, he'd be there uh, waiting at the gate. And, Come on, Ahern, you want to fight? And uh, I, I wasn't the fighter. I, 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 I really struggled to speak. Um, I, 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 you know, at times I, I would just stutter. Or, or, I, I really, I was full of fear as a kid. And, um, you know, in the face of aggression, I would usually just get paralyzed um, uh, with fear. And um, I remember as a kid sometimes just going and hiding in the toilet. I was just, um, I was very shy, very, very shy, very self-conscious. And, um, you know, the enemy had a plan for me, but so did God. But I, I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I just came to the point where I had enough. And so I went to my, my dad. My dad was getting dressed. He was putting on his tie. And he had his back to me. And, um, and I really looked up to my dad because he was big and he was strong. And I remember I was just a kid, probably maybe um, nine, ten years of age at most. Um, and uh, so I walked in. And, and, and I said, Dad, I said, there's a boy in school. And, and he keeps uh, bullying me. And he keeps asking me to fight him. And my dad didn't even turn around. He had his back to me. And uh, I was kind of hoping my dad would come into school, talk to the teacher, maybe give the guy a slap across the head, something, you know, just to threaten him. And um, my dad didn't even turn around to me. He just kept putting on his tie and he says, well, why don't you give him a belt to your fist? That was it. Um, a bit like that, uh, that, that movie, The Last Samurai, Samurai. That was a good conversation. Uh, that, was, that was the extent of our conversation. My dad didn't talk much, you know. Um, uh, and, and so he wasn't sitting down giving me hugs and, oh, come on, let's deal with this. No, it was old school. He says, give me a belt to your fist. So I remember I went to school that day. And all that day, I, what my dad said, he planted a seed. Because I never saw myself as a fighter. I never saw myself as dangerous. I didn't believe that I could do anything like that. Because, you know, aside from anything else, Tony Payne had a leather jacket. Back then, nobody had leather jackets. You know, it wasn't pleather, as you see today. This was the real thing. And so he was tough. If you were wearing a leather jacket in the 80s, you were tough. Okay, you are Ireland's, Ireland's version of the mafia. And so uh, I, I remember walking out of school and my heart, uh, I'd been thinking all day, I'm going to hit him across the jaw, he's going to fall on his back. And next day I'm walking out and, and you know, all of my courage just seeped through my toes. I saw him there, he was there with his two buddies and, um, and, and uh, he, he says, come on, hurry. He says, you want to fight? And I had my, my school bag on and, and uh, I was like, I was, Lord, I was just so afraid. I mean, I was praying. I was literally praying as a little kid for God's protection. And he says, do you want to take your bag off? And I said, no, because I thought if I land on my back, it'll kind of break the fall. And, uh, but but uh, something on the inside of me, I said, I, I walked up to him, I says, you know what, Tony, he says, say sorry. He said, what? And I said, say sorry. He didn't say sorry. So I just flung my fist. I connected with his jaw. He, he, did his, he flipped back and landed on his back. And his friends were there. And they were laughing at him now. They weren't laughing at me. They were laughing at him. I standed there like Conan the Barbarian, just looking down. He was on the ground and I was standing. And I'll tell you something. We never had problems ever again after that moment. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So that short little conversation that I had with my dad, seeing this is the power of a father's encouragement. <laughs> you see, the biblical principle is if you can see it, you can have it. 
And my father put something on the inside of me that caused me to see something that I couldn't see before and do something I couldn't have done before. And that's why the very last point is this. I know I've gone over time, but you know, a, a, a father's uh, provision, you know, a father's example, a father's discipline, a father's encouragement, and lastly, a father's love. A father's love. The Bible says, love never, <coughs> love never fails. Bear Grylls, it was a very moving moment, talking about holding his son for the first time. You suddenly have this bundle that you'd instantly die for, and that's an extraordinary feeling. Denzel Washington, there's life, and there's making a living. Family is life. The actor Mark Wahlberg, I want to give my, li- my kids the world, but I also want them to appreciate everything, to succeed to be good people, to enjoy life. This is my most important role. If I fail at this, I fail at everything. You see, becoming a father changes us. And the greatest thing that we can do for our children is like I said, to love God, to love our wife, and to love our children. You know, the Bible says, thy gentleness hath made me great, Psalm 18. You see, it's not unmanly to love. And, and so there is no one stronger than God, and yet God loves us. You know, it's a very Irish thing to never show affection, um, you know, uh, to never open your heart, and yet your kids need it. They need it desperately, amen? And so it's so important to, to, to love our children. Ch- Chuck Swindle said this, each day of our lives, we make deposits in the memory banks of our children. What kind of deposits are you making in the memory banks of your kids? Because kids spell love as time. Amen. So if you could stand to your feet today, I just want to encourage you to give your time to your children. Amen. You know, the Bible says that the father ran to the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal turned back, and it says the father ran. Why did the father run? He, this was contrary to all of the customs, all of the traditions, all of the expectations. In that society, an elderly person would never run, but the father ran. And even though his son was filthy and clothed in rags, he threw his arms around him and embraced him as a son. And this is why, you know what, it's tremendously significant, the father's blessing. And know this, you have a father who loves you, you have a father who sees you, you have a father who cares about you. The Bible says God is love. Amen. So know this, in spite of where you have fallen or failed or, uh, you know, fallen short, know this, you're loved by God the Father. You have a Father who loves you. You have a Father who believes in you. You have a Father who declares in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to give you hope and a future. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, the cross is an everlasting testament to the love of our heavenly Father. God so loved us that he gave Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity doesn't start with perfection, it starts with surrender. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? We can surrender our past, we can surrender our pain, amen? We can come to our Father in heaven. 